Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we're talking about sleepwalking. Mm-hmm. Caroline, did you ever sleepwalk? Once. Exactly what well that I remember. You look so proud of yourself. Well, I just think it's ridiculous because I, yeah, and it's sleepwalking, as we'll get into, is so common in children. But I only did it once that I can recall. And it's because I woke up at the top of the stairs. Oh. Yeah, like I had gotten out of bed and walked to the top of the stairs and was like, oh, oh, I'm going to go back to bed. I did a lot of, I do, and still do a lot of sleep hand movements. Like when I worked for the newspaper, I would have these terrible work stress dreams and wake up. Because I was using my hands to lay out the newspaper, and and sometimes I would wake myself up doing um, sleep hand water guns. That's awesome. <laughs> That's officially the best sleep gesture <laughs> I've ever heard of. Um, yeah, but no, no, no sleepwalking stories beyond that. Listen, I don't want to one up you, but I sleptwalked, sleepwalked. Is that the past tense? Sleepwalked. sleepwalked. I sleepwalked as a child a lot, kind of a lot. Mm-hmm. It was only, it was, it was a fairly brief phase. I'm thinking maybe, I don't know, six months to a year, but it happened a lot when it started. And I vaguely remember, and maybe I say I remember because my siblings thought that it was hilarious the next day. Um, cause I had, we had a pet ferret and there, I, I can hear like a collective, ew. Yeah, I just made a face. <laughs> We had a pet ferret <laughs> and I got up out of bed and my, the, my parents live in the, like a ranch style house with a really long hall. It's a long, long lean house. And my, my room was at one end of the hall. And so I got up, started walking on the hall, beelined over to my ferret's cage, grabbed my ferret and kept on walking up to the living room where presumably the older members of the family, like older siblings and, uh, my parents were up watching TV or something, and I walked up to my oldest sister, and I held out my ferret, and I asked her what kind of plant it was, <laughs> <laughs> at which point she realized that I was sleepwalking. And so the cure for my sleepwalking, always if uh, if I went to my parents' room, because inevitably, with like four siblings, you know, I'm going to run into somebody <laughs> at some point in the house. So when someone would run into me, they would take me to the bathroom. It would escort me to my bathroom, and uh, and I would pee, and I'd go back to bed. It'd be great. Um, so, so that was my sleepwalking. But I don't think that it has happened since then, and I really hope it doesn't happen now because I I live alone. And that would be weird. Yeah, you get up and bother your neighbors about their pets. <laughs> Excuse me. What kind of plant do you have? <laughs> Uh, I'm holding like a, a feral cat in the neighborhood. <laughs> uh, so why don't we figure out what was going on with these parasomnias? Ooh, Ooh. nice word. Uh, which are disruptive sleep disorders, including sleepwalking, which occur during arousals from either REM sleep or partial arousals from non-REM sleep. And uh, since we've talked about parasomnias, also sleepwalking specifically as a parasomnia referred to as somnambulism. It sounds so nice. So anyone studying for their GRE or SAT out there, somnambulism. Yeah, and if anybody wants to come up with a word for sleep finger guns, 
let me know. Um, so sleepwalking most often occurs during the deep non-REM sleep early in the night. But if it occurs during REM sleep, it's actually part of REM behavior disorder and tends to happen near morning. So yours happened... Mine would be at night. It would be within the first couple hours of me falling asleep. Um, and when it happens in the, during the REM cycle later on in the night or into the early morning, it's actually more dangerous. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one thing that got us thinking about sleepwalking too, I went to go see, uh, Mike Berbiglia of This American Life fame. Mm -hmm. What's up? Other awesome podcast and radio show. Uh, I saw his movie Sleepwalk with me, which is about, his REM behavior disordered sleepwalking. Didn't he walk through a window? In which he ends up walking through a window. Actually, well, he ran through oh. a window because I think you need some, some inertia <laughs> to get you through a plane of glass. Um, but typically, these bouts will last 10 minutes or less, and it's most commonly seen in kids ages 8 to 12, but it can happen, obviously, at any age, as can sleep water guns. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or sleep newspaper designing. Um, in children, see, the thing is, they're not sure exactly what causes sleepwalking. It's just, it's super common. Your brain's just doing something weird. But they think in children, it's possibly related to fatigue and lack of sleep or anxiety. In adults, they tend to tie it to alcohol, sedatives, or other medications like Ambien, uh, specifically, which we'll get into. Also, medical conditions and mental disorders. In the elderly, it can be a symptom of organic brain syndrome, also known as just having basically decreased mental function due to a disease of some kind, or REM behavior disorders. Yeah, and uh, one of the more recent findings about this is that sleepwalking is, in fact, hereditary. Crazy. Which means if I have a child, oh, man, I'm going to have to lock well, their door. Does anyone, does your mother or father sleepwalk? I don't think so. As far as I know, I was, I've been the only child in my family to exhibit sleepwalking. Hmm. Um, but maybe, maybe... Maybe you had famous sleepwalking grandparents. Ooh, famous ones. I and probably famous. know about them. Oh, good, point. good point. Uh, but there was a study that came out in 2011 from the Washington University School of Medicine uh, w- in which they studied four generations of a sleepwalking family. I kinda, th- It was a great study background just because it was all about this family of sleepwalkers, intense sleepwalkers. <laughs> there go the Smiths walking down the street again. <laughs> They're all in their pajamas. Uh, and they were able to trace this sleepwalking down to a section of chromosome 20 but they're not sure which gene exactly was responsible for the sleepwalking because on chromosome 20, you got a bunch of genes still to choose from. All these genes. Yeah, and then Stanford in spring 2012 backed this up. They found that more than a third of sleepwalkers do have a family history of the disorder, which is very interesting. Yeah, supposedly someone with the gene, i.e. me, mm-hmm. surely I have this gene. I mean, and I'm not just trying to like be like, well, I must have this gene. <laughs> but I assume that I have this gene. Mm-hmm. Uh my offspring will have a 50% chance of getting it. I kind of hope that if I do have a kid, one of them does, because that sounds hilarious. <laughs> like a kid walking around with pets asking strange questions. Um, but in terms of gender, it's probably not going to make much of a difference if I were to have a boy child or a girl child, because a lot of these studies say that there's no gender component to it. Although... A study published in Neurology in 1997 uh, had something different to say. 
Yeah, it found that uh, childhood sleepwalking was significantly more frequent in women. Um, they found that it occurred often in 2.8% of women and just 2% of men, and sometimes in 6.9% of women and 5.7% of men. So not a huge difference, but this 1997 study did point out that there was a bit of a... Uh, a difference for women. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting, too, that that study was based on uh, data from the Finnish twin cohort that followed around, I think it was something around 29,000 pairs of, uh, of Finnish twins. And it's it's often used as a really solid data set for um, kind of figuring out behavioral patterns. But again, you know, a lot of times you'll still see no no gender component. Um, but what do sleepwalkers do? Besides finger guns. Yes. <laughs> I mean, really, they just get up and walk around. Yeah. You know, there's often the uh, kind of the film trope of walking around like a zombie. With or zombie um, stepbrothers where they get up and throw all their presents on the Christmas tree in their parents' room. Have you seen that? No, I have not seen that. I recommend YouTube. Um, but a lot of times the symptoms of sleepwalking, I, I find it kind of funny that there are symptoms of sleepwalking. Yes. Yeah. Would the symptoms be walking around when you're asleep? But thank you, Mayo Clinic, for clearing things up. Uh, acting confused or disoriented when they wake up, having a blank look on their face, what kind of plant is it? <laughs> but I imagine opening their eyes during sleep, not remembering the sleepwalking episode and saying, here we go, saying things that don't make sense. Yeah. Well, my freshman roommate didn't sleepwalk. I don't think it would have been possible, actually, because our dorm room was so small, but she would sleep talk all the time. And that girl would wake me up having conversations. And I'd sit up and I'd be like, what, what, what did you say? And she's like, the eggs. Did you get the eggs? We they're green. We need to cook them, and and she would have a whole conversation about the flipping eggs, and I'd be like, God, Lauren, I have a test in the morning, and then you'd wake up wanting eggs. Yeah, I got a cycle. Just created a cycle. <sighs> uh, but sleepwalkers can get themselves into trouble. But really, the only potential complication from sleepwalking is. Hurting yourself. If you had kept going over the cliff when we rolled down those stairs. Um, one time I was in my sleep. I don't know that this could be attributed to sleepwalking, but I did roll off the top bunk and fall onto, onto my desk chair oh. as a child. Did you break yourself? No, but I got a pretty sweet bruise. It looked kind of cool. Hmm. Um, and it's also, it's not dangerous. This is a big myth that's out there. It is not dangerous to wake up a sleepwalker. Yeah, I think the worst that you would get is them being really kind of scared and confused as to why they're standing up in the hall with a ferret. Yeah, but it, it'll it'll it fades away. <laughs> um, and according to the National Sleep Foundation, about ten percent of Americans report some erratic nighttime behaviors like eating, walking, talking, having sex, or even becoming violent when they're asleep. Yeah, we haven't even touched on and aren't going to in this episode touched on night terrors and sleep violence. I've had one night terror. Again, I I don't know why I have these like individual little things, but I'll save it. It just didn't really involve me sitting up screaming and then being like. <sighs> Oh, okay. Well, anyway. But yes, <laughs> the the one that I think is uh the most entertaining. I'm I'm really sorry if that's insensitive. 
But one that I think is interesting, I guess I should say, is a sleep-related eating disorder. And so this is coming. I got I got my info from uh, an ABC News article about it that found that more than a million Americans suffer from this really strange affliction, and most of them are women. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's up with that, but basically these people get up in the middle of the night, do their sleepwalking thing, but instead of just you know wandering around like zombies, they go to the kitchen. They either fix themselves food or they eat stuff out of the fridge or they make like a cat food sandwich because they really don't know what they're doing. And they just eat and eat and eat and then just go back to bed. Yeah. And for some people, this obviously can be a problem. There was one woman profiled who had gained 60 pounds as a result of sleep eating. And uh, while Dr. Carlos Shank, the author of Sleep, the Mysteries, the Problems and the Solutions, uh, said that sleep eating is a result of a major, quote, physiological force coming from deep within your brain and body to eat so inappropriately. Uh, But it probably also has something to do with this chemical leptin, because leptin is what is released in our brains during sleep to suppress hunger, because that would be awful. If we could get hungry while we were sleeping, I would never sleep. Um, and so there there must be something with part of the brain, possibly the GABA1 neurotransmitter that helps control uh, the kind of sleep process in the brain, coming awake and kicking that leptin back in without us knowing it. Yeah, so, and it's funny because in, in the story they talked about how people tend to go for like the cheesy poofs, you mm-hmm. know, and not instead of the apple because your whole, you don't have any, it's not like you're judging. You're not making a judgment call of like, you know what, I'm sleep eating. I should probably have that banana. Yeah, your frontal cortex that makes all of those like rational decisions between, you know, vegetables versus a milkshake. That's <laughs> <It's> sleeping. <laughs> It's thinking about water guns. <laughs> um, and this is part of the reason why there was a rash of, in the mid-2000s, of Ambien, it's a sleeping pill, Ambien-related driving arrests, because these people were taking Ambien and uh, doing all sorts of crazy things, like driving, mm-hmm. eating was a big problem, having sex, and having no idea that they were doing all this. And uh, as far as the eating goes... Uh, they thought that there was a study done on it, and they found that an active ingredient in Ambien tinkered with the leptin. Yeah, which I immediately looked at my Ambien bottle and was like, oh, God, what have I done? Um, I really don't think I've done anything weird because I just don't that I know of. You don't wake up with, like, pepperonis stuck to your cheek. <laughs> well, I mean, something. like, that's a Saturday night. But, yeah, it is scary what Ambien can do. I mean, they talk about people, you know, getting in their car and driving and running into other cars, hitting telephone poles, things like that. And when the cops come, they, you know, they just assume you're you're drunk or you're right. high on something. And so, like, how do you how do you test for Ambien? Um, I don't know. Maybe if they start talking about ferrets or doing finger water guns. Well, you know what? I kind of poked a little fun at the symptoms of sleepwalking. Maybe it's, it's good that those exist because maybe, the you know, those are the, the signs if someone the is... The police should listen sleep- to our podcast. Yes. Uh, and uh, since we mentioned uh, SAT words earlier with somnambulism and parasomnias, uh, very briefly, people who have sex in their sleep, they exhibit somnambulistic sexual behavior, otherwise known as sexomnia. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say all of that out loud. Somnambulistic sexual behavior, sexomnia. <laughs> Sounds like a, a hex. So how many of us, and by us I mean adults, are doing this? Because a lot of times kids will age out of sleepwalking. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah. how, how, how many of us do this? Well, it's actually got a pretty high lifetime rate, people who have experienced it. But the amount of adults who currently sleepwalk is pretty low. Um, going back to that Stanford study from spring of 2012, 3.6% of U.S. adults, or 8.4 million people, reported sleepwalking at least once in the previous year with 1% saying they had had two or more episodes in one month. Yeah, and the lifetime prevalence, like you said, is pretty high at 29.2%. And sleepwalking once, like you did, out of the norm, Caroline, because uh, just over 80% of those who have sleepwalked reported they've done so uh, another time in the past five years. And there are some conditions that are associated, too, with sleepwalking behavior, not just the, you know, the eating and walking and talking, but things like sleep disordered breathing. Right. This is a group of disorders characterized by, as you would think, abnormal breathing patterns during sleep, most commonly obstructive sleep apnea. And very interesting study that confirmed the importance of correcting sleep problems in children. This was in pediatrics in 2003. Children with chronic parasomnias may often also present sleep disorder breathing or restless restless leg syndrome to a lesser extent. They found that frequent episodes of sleepwalking could result from allergies, swollen tonsils, and other factors that interfere with breathing. But once they had their tonsils and or adenoids removed, fix the problem. Yeah, so all their sleep disturbances were gone. Yeah. So doctors should... The researchers were hoping, too, like out of this pediatric study, that they could convince doctors to pay closer attention to those kinds of breathing problems in kids. Um, and speaking of kids, migraines have been implicated. Uh, there were several studies from the 80s showing that kids with migraines were more likely to sleepwalk than were kids with other types of headaches or even seizures. They also found that sleepwalking was more common in kids who had migraines with aura as opposed to migraines without aura. Like, I get migraines with aura. I get the whole, like, I get traveling numbness. I get the the lights and the party streamers in my vision. I get numbness along my jaw. Whereas these kids who don't have aura would just be, like, hit with a migraine. Uh, another study found that a greater percentage of adults with migraines were sleepwalkers compared to adults with just Allergies. So there's something going on in the brain. It's amazing, though, that like I because I currently have a cold or I've, you know, pretty much gotten over it. But so I'm having sleep issues right now and I'm a migraine sufferer. It's just weird that I don't sleepwalk. I feel like I should. Maybe it's only a matter of time, Caroline. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, well, mental health issues, too, seem to have one of the strongest relationships to sleepwalking um, in, with for people with depression, for instance. They are three and a half times more likely to sleepwalk than those without it. And people who are taking SSRIs for depression are three times more likely to sleepwalk twice a month are, or more. And it's not necessarily the, uh, the SSRI antidepressants that are increasing the risk of sleepwalking. They still think that it's something to do with the depression. Right. And there's also an interesting link with obsessive compulsive disorder. They found that people with OCD are seven times more likely to sleepwalk. So that's that's nuts. Uh, it's also more likely for those with alcohol abuse or dependence. And uh, there could be there could be a schizophrenia link. Uh, an article in the British Journal of Psycho- uh, Psychiatry in April 2012 found that 80 percent of schizophrenics have sleep problems. And that could have to do with, you know, all their sleep patterns are all messed up. It's not like, you know, you want to go to bed at 11 o'clock, you sleep through the night, you have your REM sleep, you get up at seven or whatever. Like they have a definite um 
kind of a mixed up sleep pattern. So they also exhibit sleepwalking. And in the ultimate twist of irony, people who take sleep medication are two and a half times more likely to sleepwalk more than twice a month than people who don't take them. So that kind of relates back to what we were talking about with Ambien. You take something to fall asleep. Well, at least you might get some exercise. <laughs> or you might eat a dozen donuts. Yeah, maybe you'll you'll walk to the car to drive to Krispy Kreme to eat the donuts and drive back. There you go. Or you might drive to Tim Hortons. If you're one of our Canadian listeners, what, what? Canada reference. Boom. <laughs> Dropping <all> <laughs> drop truth bombs. So I think that sums up our, uh, our sleepwalk. The thing is, we still haven't answered why it happens. We know that it has something to do with this chromosome 20, mm-hmm. something to do with, uh, passing it being passed along through our family lines. Yeah. And something to do with being a kid. And maybe something to do with... If you're an adult who sleepwalks, could be a mental health, mm-hmm. depression, sleep medication, alcohol. Okay, a lot of things. <laughs> it could be anything, is what we're saying. Um, but if you do want to see um, a, a funny depiction of sleepwalking, like real something that happened in real life, I do recommend go see uh, Sleepwalk with me. I enjoyed it. It, mm-hmm. was, it was fun. And... There's an Ira Glass cameo for the American Life fans out there. Yeah. So, I, well, I really want to hear stories of people sleepwalking weird places or oh, doing yeah. weird things. Tell us what you ate. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious. <laughs> well, see, also the disappointing thing: if I started sleep eating, I would be mad. Not so much because <laughs> of the caloric intake, but because I wouldn't have been awake enough to enjoy it. to enjoy all the cupcakes or pizza or something yeah and also thinking about like what's in my cupboard though it wouldn't be that exciting i'd probably end up eating dry rice actually (laughs) yeah i was just thinking dried lentils (laughs) Mm. Mm -hmm. all right so with that send us your sleepwalking stories mom stuff at discovery.com and speaking of movies as we have a couple times in this episode before we get into listener mail We've got a quick word from one of our kindly sponsors, Netflix, which helped bring you today's episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You. Uh, Today we were talking about sleepwalking, so if you want to watch something kind of related to that, I've got an idea here. You should head over to Netflix.com, and if you haven't seen it already, watch Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It's not exactly about sleepwalking, but A, it's an awesome film b kate winslet awesome lady and jim carrey does a good job too and uh, it's a compelling story kind of sleepwalking-esque it's just what came to mind when i was thinking about sleepwalking and better yet when you go sign up at netflix.com as a new member and a stuff mom never told you listener you can get a free 30-day trial membership just go to netflix.com slash mom and sign up. That's netflix.com slash mom. And be sure to use that URL so that they know that we sent you over there. Uh, the 30-day free trial won't be around forever. So head over to netflix.com slash mom ASAP and sign up today. And also, this offer is subject to availability. And now, let's head back to letters. I've got an email here from Melissa about our matchmaking podcast. She writes, 
I've had many a disastrous relationship. None seemed to last much past a year, if we even made it that far. Now, these were all relationships I created myself, meaning no on the set us up or conspire to get us together. However, once I started going to a weekly stitching group, a lovely lady there offered to set me up with a guy she worked with. Naturally, I was skeptical being the youngest in the group, and she had always talked about how she worked with older people at her architecture firm, but I was feeling brave and agreed. Luckily, he turned out to be just 30 at the time and absolutely amazing. We're still dating. It's been almost a year, and I've never been happier or felt more content in a romantic relationship. We have a lot of fun together, and I can really see spending years and years with him and never being bored and discontent, at least for long. Funnily enough, we both have similar family backgrounds, education levels, and personal ideals and morals. It's amazing how much things as dull as this really do help, like you two pointed out on the podcast. So I guess my story at least would imply that your comment about sometimes not knowing what we need is true. So thanks, and uh, good luck with that relationship, Melissa. Okay, here's one from Rose about our Slumber Party podcast. And I'm really glad she sent this in because, you know, we touched on like cultural differences as far as attitudes towards slumber parties. And she has a good story. So she says, uh, my dad is originally from South America and was completely perplexed when I started wanting to go to slumber parties around age seven. I remember him saying things like, why would you need to sleep at someone else's house? Is our own house not good enough for you? My mom had to explain to him this was a normal part of a young girl's social life in the U.S. and made sure that I was able to both host and attend sleepovers. I'm so glad I was able to have these events as part of my childhood. Going to other people's houses, eating their food, living by their rules for a night was all interesting and fun. It was also a good test of my manners and confidence, comporting myself well in someone else's home. And sure, I got into some things I never would have at home. I only ever saw horror movies at slumber parties, for example. Who shows a room full of nine-year-olds the exorcist at bedtime? But comparing my experiences in other homes to my own home, I actually better understood the values my parents wanted me to have and why our home ran the way it did. So thanks for the perspective, Rose. And thanks to everyone who's written in to momstuffatdiscovery.com or followed us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or liked us on Facebook. And you can also follow us now on Tumblr. Stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com is a delightfully fun destination for your internet travels. And if you would like to learn more about sleepwalking in Ambien, go to our website and search Ambien Sleepwalking, and you'll find an article written by me. And that website, of course, is HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 